welcome Pastor Reuter, whom the Lord has ordained to give us the word from the throne of God. Uh, let's put our hands together as he comes to minister, yearning to remove disgrace from Zion. A very good morning to all of you. May the Lord bless us today. It's not a use day. It's not a highlight. But thank God you're here. Okay. Well, today I want to uh, share with you a word that I believe is uh, really right for our time uh, and that God has put on my heart. And I want to uh, begin taking you to the book of Nehemiah. My subject today I called yearning to remove disgrace from Zion. Yearning to remove <clears throat> disgrace from Zion. <clears throat> Let me read from the book of Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, the, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Hanani, my, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived in the exile, that survived exile, and also about Jerusalem. <clears throat> they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burn, burned with fire. <clears throat> and verse 4, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be at, ears be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant praying before you <clears throat> day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess this, the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. And Nehemiah 1.11 says, O Lord, let your ears be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer of the king. And let me read also the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 9 and verse 8. The Bible reads here, But now we have been given a brief moment of grace. For the Lord our God has allowed a few of us to survive as a remnant. He has given us security in this holy place. Our God has brightened our eyes and granted us some relief from our slavery. For we were slaves. But in his unfailing love, our God did not abandon us in our slavery. Instead, he caused the kings of Persia to treat us favorably. He revived us so we could rebuild the temple of our God and repair its ruins. Yes, give, let us pray. Wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Let us pray. Lord our God, we want to thank you so much for your wonderful presence today. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you give us the application of this word for our time, for our lives, so that, Lord, we are able to see grace being protected and disgrace being removed. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you so much for this wonderful lesson that you are giving us from the life of Nehemiah and Ezra and how they have been able to become instrumental in your mighty hands to get the work of God being done. So Lord, let us be able to walk in the footsteps of those men and those women who were rebuilding 
the walls of Jerusalem and the temple of the Lord our God. Lord, be in our midst and teach us your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You know, when God speaks to us in his word, uh, and we go especially into the Old Testament, this is not just history. Yes, of course, it may record what has happened in days of old. It may tell us a number of things that I think are very important uh, for the history of Israel, the history of our, of our own lives. But of course, I believe it is actually brand new for our time and very, very uh, current because what they have gone through is what we are facing in our own lives as well, in our own uh, experience in the body of Christ and also personally. So as we are studying this word, I want you to understand, you know, as you are listening, as you're hearing, talking about Nehemiah, Ezra, and the people in those places, you know, that actually God talks to us. Because what Nehemiah did is what we need to do again. Okay, what Ezra did, we need to be able to see happening in our midst again. And we need to be able to build uh, the very walls that have been broken in our own lives and also in the body of Christ. So I want to just, you know, send this ahead of time so that you don't think we are talking about something in the distant past which doesn't really have a bearing on us. No, every word that comes from the mouth of God has a bearing on our lives. Every word that God speaks is meant to build us up, is meant to give us understanding and a deeper, you know, appreciation of what the desires of God are. Now, as you have seen in this scripture, we are reading a few times the word disgrace. You know, we have been speaking a lot about grace since we started this year, and not so much about disgrace. But disgrace is a reality. And, you know, in our world today, there is a lot of disgrace. In fact, when you open the newspapers, you read more about disgrace than grace. When you listen to the news, local or international, you read about disgrace all the time. You know, walls are broken down. Protection is not there. People are getting killed. You know, there are people who lose property every single day because of disgrace. Okay? There are people out there who don't mean well, who are selfish, who just think about their own ideas, their own benefits, their own self. And that's why we have so much disgrace in our world. And when Nehemiah got, uh, you know, visited by his brother, and he found out uh, the condition of the city of Jerusalem, you know, Jerusalem is called Sion, the city of God. He was, he was quizzing him, he was uh, inquiring from his brother, what, what is happening with the people who remained behind, those who survived the exile, those who have not been taken captives, taken to uh, Babylon or Persia, story. And the story that Nehemiah got was a very sad story. You know, those who survived the exile, they are in great trouble and they are in disgrace. Okay? Jerusalem was built as a fortified city. It was having walls of protection. It had gates. And they were regulating who was going in and who went out. And of course, gates are important. Okay? I, I don't think you would want to live in a house that has no door. Okay? Because you never know who is coming in. Uh, apart from mosquitoes and, uh, and other insects. You know? Uh, so I, I think we all realize how important protection is. I, I believe every one of you has a key in your pocket, okay? Maybe for your car, but more so for your house. And before you left, you, you locked the, the house. Now, we all understand security. And in scripture, we are realizing that God also is very concerned about the security of his people. So that 
what he installs and deposits into our lives in terms of grace, in terms of, of, of kindness, goodness, grace, and mercy, that it will not be destroyed, but that it will be protected and that it will be able to grow. You see, every good thing that is able to bear fruit can also be destroyed, isn't it? You know, every plant that you are going to have in your garden, somebody can come and uproot it, and then it will no longer bear fruit. But God is interested that that which he has put into our lives in terms of salvation, in terms of grace, in terms of uh, gifts and abilities, that it will be able to continuously bear the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, and that's why we need to see it protected. Now, the city of God was lying in ruins and disgrace because the walls were destroyed. And the city and the temple were destroyed. Now, Nehemiah was not just a consumer of news, but he put himself into the tragedy. And he asked himself, what can I do about this situation? You know, when we read the news in the newspaper, of course, we all, to a large extent, get news. Whether you get it from the newspaper or whether you get it from social media today, you know, we are all consumers of news. And uh, a lot of the news is not good news, as I said. So when such news reaches you, what do you do? You shrug your shoulders and says, anyway, what can I do? It's just like that. Nehemiah did not do that. Nehemiah became personally, you know, involved. His heart was beginning to, to pump faster, you know, and he began to pray, to begin to fast, he began to cry. He was seeking the face of the Lord and wondering what can be done in this situation. And, you know, I think this is very important for us to see because I, I think God looks for people like Nehemiah, people who are taking a personal interest in the well-being of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the well-being of the people that God loves, in the, in the house of the Lord, in the temple of the living God. You know, in the temple of the living God is us human beings. It's not a building, it's, it's human beings. The church is not a building. The church are the people who are called out of darkness into his wonderful light. And so Nehemiah was, was getting involved. It touched his mind. It touched his emotions. He started crying. He started praying, and he repented. Well, we don't know. Nehemiah was probably not a very old man, so many of the sins that were committed by the people of Israel were committed before his time. But he put himself under the collective burden of sin, and he repented on behalf of uh, the people of Israel who had gone astray. No, very, very often we are seeing the wrong things that happen and then we begin to blame this, the people who we feel are at fault for what is happening. But Nehemiah didn't do that. He put himself into the same boat. He says, we have sinned. It may not have been Nehemiah himself who had, you know, uh, caused any of these problems that happened to come to pass. But he was an Israelite. He was a a son of his, uh, of his nation, and therefore he put himself under the collective burden of sin in his nation. And that's what the Bible tells us very clearly, that he prayed, that he repented on behalf of the people of Israel. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Let your ears be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant this praying before you, day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites. He didn't say those Israelites. He said we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. So I believe it's important, you know, if we want to bring change like Nehemiah was able to bring, we need to put ourselves into the story. 
You know, we need to put ourselves into the tragedy. We need to become part of God's solution. And God's solution is always coming through people who care. It's always coming through people who have a heart to hear God speak into their lives. You know, God is not silent. He's always speaking. The question is, are we hearing? Are we able to take notice of what God is saying? Or are we just so busy with our own little agendas that we don't have time to hear what God is saying? So all these things that, you know, uh, had a great impression on the life of Nehemiah made him begin to yearn to see disgrace being removed from the city of Zion, the Zion of God, the house of God. And so he decided that he would be able to use his position in order to give him leverage to do, a, to do something about the situation that was there. Now, uh, Nehemiah was a cupbearer of the king, okay? He was taken to Babylon, to Persia, you know, and, uh, you know, for him to rise to such a very high position to be a cupbearer of the king, you know, this was a very trusted position. Because, you know, you, you, don't bring, you don't allow somebody to bring you food if you don't trust him that he's not going to put some poison inside. Isn't it? So for the king to have made Nehemiah his cupbearer, okay, somebody who was serving him very intimately, very personally, the food and the drink that he was, uh, you know, taking part of. That meant that Nehemiah was a very close and trusted servant of the king. And what we must understand, you know, that kings were putting a lot of emphasis, not just on good service, but also on happiness and cheerfulness in their presence. So, you know, a servant who came into the presence of the king was supposed to be, or was expected to be cheerful. Okay? He was expected to be happy. Even if he was not happy, he was supposed to give himself uh, the shine of happiness. Okay? And so one day, you know, uh, as, as uh, Nehemiah went through this tough time of, you know, agonizing in the presence of God, crying and praying, he came to the king not a happy person, but a person who was downcast. And the king asked him, hey, what is this? I've not seen you like this. Okay? Let me just read a few verses from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, verse 1. In the months of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Adaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. Okay? He had never been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my fathers are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Please take time to read the full chapter. You know, my space was limited, so I could not put everything on the bulletin. And of course, I can't uh, read everything because it's quite, quite bulky. But it's so important, you know. So... Uh, Nehemiah stood in front of the king, in, ho in front of, oh, you know, in his presence, he was supposed to be cheerful and happy, but there was a time, the first time actually, when he was downcast, when he was not happy. And uh, the king noticed. I mean, Artaxerxes, the king, was a very powerful king. You know, he could have just banished him right then and there and says, how do you come to me like this? You know, don't trouble me with your problems. You know, I have enough problems. 
But, you know, uh, Nehemiah had prayed for favor from the king of all kings. And thank God, you know, when you pray to the king of all kings, he can also influence the heart of the kings here on earth. He can influence the people that you are relating to, that you are working with. And that's exactly what happened. So God touched the heart of the king. I mean, it's, it's, can, can you imagine a servant asking the king for favors? Okay. When you're asking big people for favors, you must be very careful because you can fall in. Uh, the good thing was that the king was even asking, asking, uh, asking uh, Nehemiah, what is it that you want? So in other words, he gave him an open ear. He was listening to what he was, uh, uh, you know, having a burden for. And that's how Nehemiah could be able to tell him, send me to the, my city the city of my father, so that I can rebuild it. And that was not where he ended. If you read further, he was asking for a number of favors. And, you know, the king granted him all the favors. So he went with letters, he went with support, he went with an amazing, you know, uh, uh, load of grace, you know, when he was actually leaving uh, the, uh, the home that he had built in the east, in the exile. You know, after all, he was an ex, uh, a person in the exile. He was not supposed to go back where he was taken from, but he was able to go back because of the favor of the king. And he was not only going back empty-handed, he was going with full hands. He was going with the favors of the king, and of course, even more so, the king of kings. That's amazing. And you know, everything that was required was a heart that was willing to hear the voice of God. Okay, so far nothing else had happened, you know. Everything was just the same as before. There was only one thing that, you know, was instrumental in this whole situation. And this was, this was that Nehemiah received a burden from God. Nehemiah saw that he was able to do something in order to remove the disgrace from the city of God. Okay? The people in Jerusalem were the same. The problems were the same. The enemies were the same. You know, everything was still the same. But there was one man whose heart got changed. And let me one person. And that should be you. That should be me. Amen? So don't ever say, ah, there's nothing I can do. No, you are a tool in the hand of God. And if God comes through to you and speaks to you in a, in a clear voice, you know, shows you his, his burden. Because, mind you, God has a burden. Because God has not brought us into this world to give us or to allow us to live in disgrace. But he has given us all grace. Okay? He's the God of all grace. And he wants us to grace, to, to see the grace abound in our lives. So what was happening in Jerusalem, what was happening in, in, in the city of Zion was not anything that God was ever rejoicing about or happy about. He was, he was burdened about it. Now you may say, how can God be burdened? Yes, for sure, God is burdened. And the Bible tells us so. God has, has feelings. Where do you think your feelings are coming from? Because God made you in his own image and likeness. So if God has feelings, then that's why we have feelings. Not, not, uh, not that we have feelings that we have created ourselves. No, God made us to be people to understand. Understand the heart of God. So the calamity of the broken walls, you know, destroyed the work that God has done over many hundreds of years in Jerusalem. You know, there were so many wonderful things that happened in Jerusalem. Unfortunately, there were so many bad things that were happening in Jerusalem because people continuously disobeyed God, continuously went astray, removing themselves from the presence of God. What happened in Jerusalem is still happening today. You know, thank God, God is building his church building his church in our time, and we thank God for everything uh, that is happening that brings people to the saving knowledge of Christ. 
And yet we realize that much of the church today, and please hear me, I'm not trying to criticize anybody, I'm just, I'm just stating a fact. Much of the church today is a church without walls. Now you may say, a church without walls is good because we want everybody to come. Yes, we want everybody to come, but we want everybody to come through the gate. Okay? And you know who the gate is. Okay? Let me just read this for you. In the book of John, chapter 10 and verse 7, the Bible tells us, Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pastures. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know, there are other scriptures, like uh, the scripture of the narrow gate, which not many people find. Jesus was talking about it. And, you know, Jesus says, I am the gate. The trouble today is that a lot of people are coming into the church, entering the broken walls, not coming through the gate. Because when you come through the gate, you have to come in repentance. You have to come laying down your burden. You have to have your life transformed and changed. You have to see God, you know, giving you his grace and truth that needs to be installed in every life that comes into the house of God. But what is happening today, churches now, people come, have a very good entertainment, you know. Gospel music has become very, very fashionable. And people come, not to concerts, uh, to, to, to places, just to feel good. And of course, there should be a good atmosphere in the house of God, for sure. So people get attracted. But unfortunately, they're not coming through the gates. And you know, you must understand that God never intended people to be kept out. In fact, the Bible says that God is not slow to, to uh, you know, come back and fulfill the promises that he has given to us. But before he comes, he wants that everyone has an opportunity to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. So in other words, the gate is not meant to keep out people. The gate is meant to keep out evil. You understand? And that's why there are gates, okay? That's why there is a gate in, this, in, the, in the wall. And the gate means that when you pass through the gate, your life needs to be transformed. You can't be the same that you have been before. You can't remain the old, the old uh, individual that you have been in the world. And when we see people coming in, you know, uh, that are not supposed to have come because they came through other avenues. Maybe they came through the windows or they jumped the wall or they broke the wall, you know, and this was the case in, in Jerusalem. The walls were broken so anybody could enter anytime, anywhere. So there was no transformation. And the result was disgrace. The result was calamity. The result was a broken city. And, you know, when the devil is able to come in, you know, and the devil always has henchmen who, henchmen who want to come in, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's why gates are required. Okay? That's why we have to put up a protection around the body of Christ, about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and I think this is a message, not just for us. Yes, it's important for us. It's a, a message for our time. You know, whether it's in our nation or whether it's around the world, we see that churches have compromised. There are so many influxes in churches which are not coming from above, but they're coming from the enemies. And, and, you know, we, 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 we should hear God speak to our hearts 
Because God has an interest to see the church make a difference. If in the, in the world you have everybody living, you know, good and bad, that's fine. And God lets his sun shine over everybody in the world, good and bad. But in the church, it's a different story. In the church, you can't have the good and the bad. In the church, you have to have those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen? They need to be transformed. And I'm not saying they cannot be there if they're, not, if they're still making mistakes. No, that's not what I'm saying. But they need to be willing to repent and stay as people who are uh, before the Lord in humility, willing to, to yield to the guidance of God, because that's what God is looking for. He's looking for a people who are having the heart of God, the desire of God, who are able to carry the grace of God. And you know, the Bible tells us very clearly that those who humble themselves, they receive grace. But those who are not willing to humble themselves, God opposes them, okay? God opposes the proud. And that's why there's no room for the proud. And yet, you know, there's so much pride in the church today. There's so much evil in the church today. Why do we read in the newspaper stories of, of great concern? You know, I don't want to go into details, but you know, I mean, you are reading the newspapers or you're seeing the social media reports of people who are supposed to be servants of God, at least they call themselves that in one way or the other, you know, but then they are, they are compromising, living in sin. And they are using cheap excuses to say we are just human. Hey. Yes, I know we are human. But that does not give us an excuse. If you are delivered from sin, from the slavery and bondage of Satan, then why are you using such a useless, you know, excuse? I'm just human. No, there's another standard for those who walk with Christ. Okay? And uh, John says in first, uh, the first letter of John that those who walk with God, they are no longer continuing to sin. Okay? I'm not saying they may not fail. You know, this is not what John said. But they are no longer following the, the, the trail of sin and deliberately do the things that are contrary to the, to the demands of God. But they are seeking to do the will of the Father. So we must not use flimsy arguments to try and tell people, no, I'm just a human being. You know, at, at one, on one moment somebody claims to be a prophet, the next moment he stands in court and, and, and accused of, 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 you know, crimes that you don't even expect of sinners. Very sad. So, you know, I think we... We need to hear that. And I'm not just saying to give you news. You know that news. I'm just saying what God has put on my heart, you know, that we should be concerned. We should hear the concern of our Father in heaven. We should allow that burden to, to influence our way of living and uh, really show a difference in the world in which we are. Jesus came into the temple and, you know, Jesus was a very gentle man, okay? If there was any gentleman, then Jesus was a gentleman, okay? He was gentle. He says it, okay? I'm gentle in heart. But one day, one day, he made some whips, okay? And he whipped the people who were making the temple, the house of God, uh, turned the house of God into a den of, of thieves. Okay? He chased them. Was that gentle? Should Jesus have done that? Well, you know, uh, let me tell you, God is God. And he even so, Jesus is gentle, but he's also a God of righteousness. He's a God of justice. We have heard about it last week. Okay? And so he, he, he chased the people out of the temple because they were not supposed to, to make the place that was, you know, 
prepared for God's holiness and righteousness of, uh, you know, uh, quick, quick money for, for that sake. And, and of course, that is what happens to a very large extent today. You know, a lot of people are just using the church to make money on it. I, I, I watched a, a documentary, by, by the way, a documentary by, on CNN, uh, where they were, you know, interviewing about 10 different people, entrepreneurs about new kind of business that they were doing in Africa, okay? And they interviewed one, one person who was called, uh, you know, one of these big titles. I don't want to go into details. And uh, people asked him, but you're saying you're an entrepreneur, but this is a church. Are you not a pastor? He says, yes, this is only one side, but in reality, I'm an entrepreneur. And he showed them, you know, the different money streams that he had in the church. Uh, and he was actually very successful to make money. And of course, you can make money out of people because, you know, once you have deceived them, you know, you can pull every quacha out of their pocket. Or every dollar or every naira or whatever it is. And people fall for that. I'm wondering why the, the true believers have got so much difficulties to pull their money out of their pockets when those who are deceiving will easily receive all this money. Can you give me an answer? I have not found it. If you know the answer, tell me about it. Because me, I'm not doing that. Hence, I'm not getting it, okay? And yet, many of you, you have got money, but you are keeping it to yourself. You're, you're giving it to such people who are deceiving you. Instead of uh, employing the money to where the need is, okay, to the widows and orphans. Okay, that's just challenges that we are facing. To rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Okay, that's just by the way. Let's look at Nehemiah again. You know, Nehemiah came one man, okay, I don't know, he may have had some people who came with him from uh, the east as he came from uh, his position as a cupbearer of the king because he was, you know, equipped by the king. So he probably came with other people who helped him. You know, he came with the favors. He came with letters so that, you know, people in the area would be able to support him. But basically, he was one person. Can one person change the whole setup of a fallen and broken city or a broken nation? That's the question. Can one person do that? We are still waiting for such a person in our country. Am I right? And I say yes. Look at, look at what this man did. Nehemiah came And before he did anything else, he assessed the ground. You can read this in, in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. I, I want, don't want to read it. I just want to read two verses here. Okay? But he went round. He didn't take a lot of people. He just went with his own, his own animal and somebody who helped him. And then he went from one place to another place to another place. He looked at the broken gates. He looked at the broken wall. Uh, you know, walls and, and, and the, the, the rubble that was literally everywhere. He, he took notes of everything because he needed not just to be a hearer, he wanted to have first-hand information of what the problem was. Or let me say, where the problems were. Because it was not just one problem, it were a multitude of problems. So Nehemiah got a good picture. And when he finally had done his groundwork, when he knew what was required to be done, he now began to organize the people. And, you know, what you can see is that Nehemiah was a servant, you know, he was a cupbearer to the king, but actually he was a very good organizer. He was able to organize the people. He was able to motivate him. He was able to cast vision into their lives. Okay, let me read Nehemiah 2, verse 17. Then they said to them, then I said to them, see the trouble you are in. Okay, so he gave them a picture. He says, 
I've just seen the trouble that Jerusalem is facing. See the trouble that you're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Of course, the people who were resident there, because this is where the residency was talking to, those who were never taken into exile, they knew all that. They lived with that. Maybe for years they were living in that, in that rubble and they were trying to survive without protection, you know, in an in a atmosphere of disgrace. They were living in that situation. So he was not telling them news. But now, you know, Nehemiah, you know, paints the picture that they knew. But then he didn't stop there. But he said, come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Hallelujah. Let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so that we are no longer in disgrace. You know, there's something we can do about disgrace. Okay? We can't produce grace, but we can remove disgrace. And when we remove disgrace, grace will come flowing in from above. But disgrace needs to be removed. Okay? The disgrace is our responsibility to, to tackle, to take up, to throw out. And this is what Nehemiah tells the people. He, he's motivating them. And he says, I owe it to me. Okay? So, how can he... Remove the disgrace. Well, he can remove the disgrace because he comes with grace. Amen? He is able to replace disgrace with grace. He tells the people about the grace that he has received all the way as he was coming to Jerusalem. And that's powerful, you know? Please, let us, let us look at that. Let us study that, you know? God has given you grace. And this grace that he has given you, he is willing to, to, to fill the place once the disgrace is removed. Hallelujah. This is something to say hallelujah about. Okay? Nobody says amen here. Okay, hallelujah. Amen. Good. Okay? So I also told him about the gracious hand. You know, the grace upon God. Of my, on my life and what I received and what the king said to me and then you know he brought them to a to a statement and this is powerful you know he says let us come let us build and then they said let us start building thank God they didn't say okay you Nehemiah you have come so why don't you build it no they all became part of his vision they all became part of the wonderful you know common perspective and organization and motivation that Nehemiah had come to, to bring to Jerusalem. So let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. Hallelujah. They began the good work. Brothers and sisters, let us do the good work. Whatever God puts on your hearts, don't say I'm just one human being. Yes, Nehemiah was just one human being. But he brought tremendous transformation into the lives of the people of Jerusalem. Everything changed. All the disgrace eventually got uprooted and he was able to do the work of the Lord. So God's favor rested upon Nehemiah because God is a God of grace. And let me tell you, God's favor rests upon you and me because he sent Jesus Christ in the fullness of grace and truth that is meant to rest on every single one of us who has come through the gate, okay, through repentance into the house of God, not some other way, but through Jesus. And when we are coming through Jesus, then we are coming, you know, from the darkness, but into the light. Then all the disgrace is removed. And that is what God desires so much in each and every one of our lives. 
Let me tell you, let me read for you another scripture from Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 3. And again, you know, there's so much in between which I can't touch now because time is not allowing us. But please read that story. It's so powerful. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 3. Okay, there were two guys who were constantly opposing the building of the wall. Sanballat and Tobiah. Okay, these were people who had no inheritance in the, in the city of God. They were outsiders. They were enemies. They were responsible that the city was lying in ruins and in disgrace. And when Nehemiah came, they constantly tried to, to ridicule them, you know, to, to put barriers into their ways. You know, they tried constantly to do something about them not succeeding. And so, uh, in this particular scripture, Sanballat was talking some uh, intimidation. And then Tobiah said, Tobiah the Ammonite said, you know, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. So, in other words, he was making fun of them, okay? Even if a fox climbs up the wall, the thing is going to collapse. So, in other words trying to, you know, take their steam out of what they were doing, trying to ridicule them, right? trying to make them, make fun of them. Okay, and that's what the devil is doing, you know. Now, you can see, if you read the, the whole story of uh, Nehemiah, you will see that the enemy is applying different kind of strategies. You know, in the beginning, he may just make fun of you. Later on, he will, of course, use, trying to use force. Later on, he will try to, 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 to capture you in one way or the other uh, so that you are not continuing the work. I love Nehemiah's response, you know. Nehemiah ignored the enemy, okay. Nehemiah said, I've got a more important work to do than listening to those kind of arguments. He prayed and he continued to work, okay. At one time, these enemies were sending, you know, they were buying a guy and says, you must come to the temple, you must run away because they are going to kill you. And, 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 and then I said, I'm not somebody who's going to run away, not even into the temple. Okay, so in other words, Nehemiah ignored the enemy. And please, don't get intimidated by the powers of darkness because they're not going to, uh, to, to, to have interest in your well-being, they have interest in your destruction. And, and that's why Nehemiah never paid attention to what the enemy said. Okay, so Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 4. You know, this is now the response of uh, Nehemiah. He says, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn the insults back on their own heads. Okay, it's always good to, that, to do that, you know. Don't receive the insults from people. Turn them back where they came from. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt and blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall. Hey, we rebuilt the wall. We continue to do the job. We did what God has called us to do, and we will continue to do what God has called us to do. That's what uh, Nehemiah was saying. Until it reached half its height for the people. Can you, can you see what one person can do? One person can do. And you know, you know that you are making progress when somebody comes who brings people together, not who divides people. Okay? And, and this, is, this is a good lesson that we should learn in our nation, you know. Uh, whoever is a leader in this nation, I, I wish they would listen. You know, division takes us nowhere. Let us put everybody together. Yes, we may have different opinions, we may have different affiliations, we may have different churches, we may have different parties, but at the end of the day, we all live in this country. And we need to see prosperity in this country. We need to see grace in this country. We need to see that God's hand is able to do what he has decided and what he is desiring to do. Amen? But as long as we are divided, we're not going to see anything happening. More trouble is just coming our way when there's division. Okay? Let the enemy do their own thing, but let the people of God be 
together. Okay, let the people of God pull at the same street. You know, I think we as people who are claiming that we are living in a nation that calls itself Christians, we should bring people together. Amen? That's my message. My message to Zambia. My message to every leader in this nation. Well, praise God. One man. In Jerusalem, the people who were there working with Nehemiah, they were there even before. But they lived in disgrace. They lived under terrible conditions. They couldn't see things are going anywhere. But one leader, one leader, okay, one man filled with the, with the wisdom and the grace of God brought all the change. Hey, this is powerful. So that's how important you are. Okay, that's how important every one of us is. That's how much we can be able to affect transformation. Every single one of us. Whether it's in your family, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's at your working place, wherever it is, you can make a difference. Amen? And you are, you are not supposed to say, oh, no, the people I have come to see, they are too difficult. Okay? You know, the people that Je Nehemiah found, they all got very used to the situation as it was, a bad situation. And uh, Nehemiah didn't accept that situation. Nehemiah said, let's do something about it. And he said, let us build. And they agreed. They agreed with him and they uh, echoed his words, let us rebuild. And they did that. Now, the story, of course, will tell you many more details. You know, it was difficult because now when the, when the wall had reached half of its height, even the enemy realized these people are not joking. And all the foxes that were climbing up could not bring the wall down. Despite their, despite their uh, you know, mocking. And so now they began to, you know, increase the pressure. And so Nehemiah divided the workforce, okay? He employed half of the workforce in the building and the other half in the defending of, this, of, the, of the wall. Because he wanted to stop you know, the influx of the evil to continue. And he did. And of course, that was the secret that, you know, they were able to continue and actually finishing the work. So focus and vision is required to defeat the opposition. Opposition will always be there. You know, there is a devil in this world. Don't forget. Okay? And Jesus was very clear about it when he, says, when he said, the one who came before me, you know, the one who has come into the sheep's pen, you know, he has come as a thief. He came to destroy, he came to kill. And that's the devil. Okay, so the devil is still at, at large out there. But please, ignore the devil. There are some people who try to, who like to talk too much about what the devil can do. You know, I would rather talk about what God can do. Because God has defeated the power of darkness. Amen. And God's grace and God's favor is with us. So let us firmly trust in the Lord who called us. And that's what Nehemiah did. He concentrated on the task at hand. His task was to finish this, the, the building of the wall. And no matter what the devil would do, he would continue to do that. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 15 says, Okay, I live from, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So on October 2, the wall was finished. Hey, good. On 2nd October. Okay, maybe that was your birthday, I don't know. On 2nd October, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. Hey, this is amazing. You know, these people were living in this broken, in this broken city with a broken wall. And the enemy could uh, cause havoc, do whatever he wanted to do. And there was disgrace in the land. There was destruction in the land. But 52 days made 
all the difference. 52 days of building. It didn't take forever. It only took 50 days. It's less than two months. Isn't it? You know, I mean, if you would have brought a contractor, would have asked him to give you some quotations and how much time is required, maybe they would have told him it takes five years. And so much money that nobody had. But Nehemiah knew how to organize people. Okay? Nehemiah knew that they could be able to do it because he came with the favor of God. He came equipped well, equipped with all the things that were required in order to do the job. Amazing. And so after 52 days, the wall was done. Zion was becoming the city of God again. Evil was banished. Enemies had no longer influence inside the city. They were outside, yes, but not inside. And that's where they were supposed to be. You know, the enemies are supposed to be banished outside, not, not in the house of God. Okay? So God's kingdom became what it meant to be in the first place, a place of righteousness, a place of God's grace. A place of love and goodness and kindness, not a place of calamity and disgrace. And thank God, grace came. Now, building the wall is one thing. Changing the hearts of the people is another. Okay? And this is where now another man comes in, and this is a priest called Ezra, who also came back to Jerusalem and God used him in a mighty way. And when we read in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 9, the Bible tells us, then Nehemiah, who was now the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, don't mourn and weep on such a day as this. For, the, for today is a sacred day before the Lord. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the word of the Lord. Now this is very important, you know. Uh, Ezra brought the word. He was reading the word. And, and in verse, uh, uh, Ezra uh, chapter, or Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 2, the Bible says that Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and the women and all the children old enough to understand. Okay, so everybody who could hear and understand needed to hear the word of the Lord. And when they listened to the word of God, you know, I mean, you know, they heard a lot of things from the enemies of, 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 of God. They got a lot of intimidation and they were, they were in disgrace. But when they heard from the Lord's word, the disgrace, was disappearing and the grace of God came and that's amazing so the people were weeping as they were listening to the word of God because now they could hear the standard of God was reset and Nehemiah continued and says go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts for food with the people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our God. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Praise the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, when this grace is gone, you can rejoice. If you live in the midst of this grace, I think there is no, you cannot have joy. Okay? You cannot rejoice. When everything is broken, when the thieves are entering your home, when they're taking your most precious possessions away, you can't, you can't rejoice. And those of us who have experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe, maybe all of us have experienced this at one time or the other. But when grace comes, you can rejoice in the Lord. And this is what Nehemiah told them. Don't be dejected and sad anymore for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And why? Because of God's grace. 
Ezra chapter 9 verse 8 says, But now we have been given a brief moment of grace. <clears throat> Thank God. It's actually not so brief. It's the grace of God that is beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension. For the Lord God has allowed us to survive. Okay, that's what Ezra is saying. We were a remnant. But now he has given us security in this holy place. Okay, because there is protection again. There's a wall that keeps out evil. That lets people come in all the blood of Jesus. Because Jesus is the gate. Okay, Jesus says very clearly, I'm the gate for the sheep. So we thank God for the mighty and powerful work that he's doing. And let us not forget, you know, we have a responsibility. Not just to come together on a Sunday morning and rejoice and be happy for, uh, for the fact that God has saved us and given us a good, uh, a good future. Yes, we should do that. We should give God praise. But God has also called us to remove the disgrace from our land. So that grace can be able to abound. So that we can see our nation be transformed and changed. And this is a message that is for all of us. Everybody old enough to listen must listen. And when we hear the word of God, it transforms our hearts. It brings a spirit of repentance, of transformation. It brings the ability to remove darkness and bring light. Sign is meant to come back to its rightful position again, where we have to declare the grace and the truth of our God. Jesus came in the fullness of grace and truth. And we have the responsibility to declare the grace and truth to our world, to our nation, to our families, in our working places, wherever it is. You know, this is our responsibility. And let no disgrace stop you. Because where disgrace is ruling, grace will not find ground, will not find root. But when we are removing the disgrace, then grace will abound in our lives. As you can see, this is not just a story of history. This is real for today. This is something that is very applicable for us today. And if God has spoken, you know, why don't you take time to pray? Why don't you ask God, what can I do? What is my role? You know, I mean, Nehemiah was overwhelmed when he heard the story about the broken walls of Jerusalem. But he took time to hear from God. He took time to have his heart touched and changed. And as he was in the presence of God, God gave him a plan. And that plan changed everything. And I, I pray and I believe that God is calling people just like Nehemiah. And just like God gave a plan to Nehemiah, and even an open door and even favors from uh, his working place, from his king, you know. I believe that God is going to give you favors. God is going to give you ability. God is going to give you the means so that you can bring transformation. Don't say, I cannot do it. No, you are alive, filled with the grace of God. And everyone who has grace can deal with disgrace. Amen. God bless you. Let us pray. Lord our God, we are so grateful for your mighty and wonderful word, for your word of love, for your word of care, for your word of grace. Lord, 
You want us to be able to see the disgrace. You want us to begin to yearn for the disgrace to be removed from our families, from our churches, from our nation. Jesus, we pray. Fill us with your grace. Fill us with your resolve. Fill us with vision so that we can be able to do what you have planned for us to do. Your word says that you have planned good things long ago so that we walk in them. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to recognize the good things that you have prepared for us so that we truly walk in them. Lord, we commit our lives into your hands. We want to thank you, Lord, for this powerful, powerful example of Nehemiah's life. And Lord Jesus, I pray, let us become such wonderful instruments in your hand like you could be able to use Nehemiah and Ezra and together with them all the people who were previously unable to do anything about their plight. So Lord Jesus, give us understanding, give us vision, give us a heart motivated, able to motivate others as well. To you be the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone say, Amen. Amen. Amen.